Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. Let's join in for this week's message. You excited to be here at LifeGate this morning? There we go. Hey, that was better than the first service. I'm going to have to, next time I'm here, I'm going to talk trash to the, the first service and tell them, man, y'all got to pick up the slack. Second service killing you guys. Um, no, it's so great to be with you this morning here at LifeGate. If it's your first time, uh, this is my disclaimer. Do not judge whatever happens this Sunday uh, as to what could happen next Sunday. Come back and hear their pastor, <laughs> Pastor Chad, speak. It's so great to be with you. Um, it's always a privilege to get the phone call of the long list that Pastor Chad could call. Um, of people who would love this moment to, to just share the Word of God with you, and it's always humbling to be here. Thank you, Pastor Chad, for having me here today. But I'm excited to get in the Word with you. Uh, the last few times I've been here, Pastor Chad's always in the middle of like a really awesome series, and normally he's like, hey, I'm in the middle of a series. If you could focus kind of like in this topic so we can continue the series, that would be great. And so when he called, I was like, sweet, what series do I get to be a part of uh, with the LifeGate family? And he said, you know, just speak whatever's on your heart. And it's like, man, it's so much easier to just be a part of the series, you know, and, um, and so I was just praying and asking the Lord, God, I want to do something different. I want to do something that I've never done before at LifeGate. And he gave me a really cool idea. And I'm going to do something that I've never done at any other church. And I'm going to kind of honor your pastor through a message this morning. And if you don't know the history of me and Pastor Chad, we do. We, we've known each other for 25 years. And um, he was there when, when I was born. I mean, it was, it's, it was amazing. <laughs> And, um, no, I'm just playing. Uh, almost, almost. I met Pastor Chad when I was nine years old in Midland, Texas, and his father heard the voice, voice of the Lord to go to West Texas and start Harvest Time Church, Highway 191. And I'm sure some of you have heard that story. Um, but we were, uh, called away from the church we were currently at in that city, and the Lord took us to Harvest Time Church. And I began to watch Pastor Chad at the age of nine years old. I watched him as he would play the drums um, during this, you know, church plants, kind of the cool word we, we, we use now. I don't think we used it so much back then, but during this church plant that was going on, and I would watch Pastor Chad play the drums. I watched him as he was in the youth group there, and, and he was one of the, the few cool people that I looked up to in the youth group. And, um, because I was so cool, so I had to look up to someone who was cool too. And, uh, I, um, I watched him as he just lived his life and just in an awesome way for, for the Lord. I actually got to watch him play high school baseball, which was really cool. And, um, I don't know, the dudes probably hold back on you, but the dude's a stud on the baseball diamond. He was back in high school. Um, if you played softball with him, he can still hit the ball. Like if you've ever, if you've ever played softball with him, but I watched him and, and just, um, uh, the, I watched as the Lord called him away to college, to Sagu. And um, the cool thing is, is just God's timing is always so perfect. I believe in divine appointments. And I believe is that, that the Lord was really looking out for this kid. And it just so happened that when the Lord called Pastor Chad back to Midland, become the youth pastor, I was in middle school. And so I was in Pastor Chad's youth group. And I tell you what, what God did in Hearts Ablaze during that time was absolutely phenomenal. Like if you would have, if you, I wish I was going to go scrounge pictures. I ran out of time, but if you would have looked at the group that was assembled to do something great for the kingdom of God, it was like 
the Sandlot looked beautiful compared to this group. I mean, we were a rough, we were some rough, rough, rough little team. But um, over the course of some years, um, God took us from like a handful of in youth group to over 200. We actually had to build a youth building to be able to hold what God was doing in West Texas. And and I got to be a part of that in in Pastor Chad's youth group. And, um, And not only that, um, when I was 18 years old, I graduated high school. The Lord called me to start a young adults group there at that same church. And it was Pastor Chad that at 18 years old, let me step into my true first ministry job, if you want to call it that. And um, imagine that an 18 year old leading a 20 something. That's quite a sight. Um, but the Lord did it again. He He took a group of just unqualified people. And we began to shake the young adults in West Texas. And again, grew that over to a couple hundred over the course of several years. And all I did was I basically followed the path that I had been on before under this man. And that, that's kind of our story. But in between those stories, I be, I'm going to be careful with my stories because he has a lot more ammo on me than I have on him. I can promise you that. But, um, in between all those moments, I can honestly say that without your pastor, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. Without the lessons that I learned throughout my time in youth group, being on his staff, um, I wanted to speak a message today, breaking down some of those defining moments that I remember being under his leadership. There were defining moments, uh, whether it was a youth service or at camp or on staff or in staff meetings that I remember, those life lessons, those principles that I hold on even till today in my life and those sermons that literally stuck with me um, since middle school. And so this morning, the title for my message is, I'm going to name it, Lessons from Your Pastor. Lessons from your pastor. I still think he's my pastor, but you see him more than I do, so he can be your pastor for today, okay? Lessons from your pastor. And it was so hard. I got it down to five lessons. It was so hard to do because, man, I, I could have, I have notes from so many of his sermons. Like, I could probably just come here every, like, time he asks and speak one of his old sermons, and you would give me all the credit, and I probably should do that more often. But, um, you know, I could put up Karate Kid on the screen and teach you a lesson about that. Or Rocky Balboa. We love talking about Rocky Balboa back in the day. But I got it down to five. Um, I almost used encourage, encounter, equip. Am I missing one? Evangelism, man. You know, I, I texted some people about that and they left me hanging. I thought it was engage. Anyway, okay, so I narrowed it down to five. And so I want to take you through some lessons. We're going to have some fun, but man, if you will hang on to this fun and see the truth inside of it, it could be the very thing that helps your life, not just this week, next week, but really for the rest of your life. So number one lesson, not in the order of importance, but the first lesson I learned this morning from your pastor, number one was to be faithful. Be faithful. From day one, one thing I knew from Pastor Chad at nine years old is that Pastor Chad loved the Chicago Cubs. Still loves the Chicago Cubs. I remember being at his house one time and I peeked my head in his, his room. He was in high school and he had his Ryan Sandberg poster on the wall. And he's always been a Cubs fan. And it wasn't until like I was getting ready for this message that I, an epiphany came. And I, I, I've never been huge on baseball, but I, I was like, I don't remember the Cubs being good when I was that age. And so I took the liberty of just seeing what their record was while 
Pastor Chad was in high school when I met him. In 1990, they went 77 and 85. In 91, they won 78 games and lost 84. In 92, they won 78 games and lost 84. And then the we have a winning season in 93. They won 84 and lost 78. And then in 94, they went 49 and 64. And the playoffs were canceled, but it wouldn't have mattered because the Cubs were horrible. <laughs> oh, but then came 2016. <laughs> I had never cheered for the Cubs one day in my life. But in 2016, I'm watching Game 7. I'm cheering for two reasons. I want to see history made, and I want to see this man begin to celebrate for the first time in a lot of years. And I'm not joking about that. <laughs> Those were the only two things I could think of. 99% sure I texted him. And you say, John, why are you telling me a story about the Cubs? Well, this is a principle that I learned from your pastor that had nothing to do with a sermon. It had nothing to do with a church camp or a staff meeting. It was simply the fact that you don't see people being faithful very often anymore. Like all you Cowboys fans, like where you at now? Like, you know, you know, last season, this season, you know, like you either love them or you don't. All the people in the middle, just go somewhere else. Like be faithful, be faithful in the good times, be faithful in the bad times, just be faithful. But we can't do it because it's not in our DNA. I mean, think about society today. We can't be faithful in our marriage. Like, look at the statistics on that. We have trouble being faithful in friendships. When someone stabs us in the back, we'd rather stab him back instead of being the bigger person and figuring it out. Why? Because we don't want to be faithful. We'd rather just run from the issue. We, we, we sign documents all the time, and we want a disclaimer, and we want a clause, and we want an out, just in case we don't want to be faithful. And we do the same thing with God. We put contingencies on him time and time again. Lord, I will be faithful to give when I make six figures. I will be faithful to give when I have more. I will be faithful to give when I have title, when I have position, when I have more resources. But the fact is, no, you won't. If you won't be faithful with what you have now, he won't do it again for you and again and again and again. You see, faith should not be dependent on emotion, but it is. So many times we, we, we live our life in a way that when everything's good, I'm faithful. When everything's smooth sailing, I, I'm faithful. But faithfulness is not doing something right one time. It's doing something right over and over and over and over again, even when you don't want to. I'll never forget one night at Hearts Ablaze Youth Ministries with a Z. Hearts Ablaze with a Z, because that was cool back then. I remember Pastor Chad speaking a message, saying... And I'm telling you, God was doing some amazing things in that youth group. And people, there was, there, there was like schools calling the church. And there were like parents, like what in the world's going there? And then some of our friends were like, we, we got, we got to be known as a cult because of what God was doing. Like it was that intense, what God was doing. Like people were getting their lives rocked. And it 
was awesome. And I can remember that we had a service and Pastor Chad confronted it and he said, you know what? People may call us crazy, but we got to stay faithful. People may think we were insane out here, but we got to stay faithful. People are going to question what the Lord's really doing in this house and we've got to stay faithful. He would talk about tithes just like he did today and say, you may not have very much. And I remember I worked at Chick-fil-A. My first tithe check was $13.16. And guess what I did? I was faithful. You know why? Because I learned from Pastor Chad, if you're faithful, it may not be today. It may not be in a week. It may not be in a month. It may not be 10 years from now, but when you are faithful, God will allow you to be fruitful. And I'm telling you to this day, I'm faithful because I have seen God time and time and time again, whether I felt like it or I didn't, I said, God, I'm going to be faithful. And he said, all right, there's some more fruit. When you're faithful in your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with him is fruitful. When you're faithful in your marriage, your marriage is fruitful. When you're faithful in your job, even when you don't like your boss, they can't stop you. You will be fruitful in that situation. When you are faithful in your giving, the Lord has always allowed me to be fruitful. I once heard it said, show God your faith and he will show you his faithfulness. You're like, God, you're not showing me your faithfulness. Well, you're not showing him you have any faith. So the first lesson I learned is that we have to be faithful. Another lesson I learned from your pastor, number two, is prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. And this lesson came at church camp. It's probably one of my favorite Pastor Chad stories. We had had an amazing service. I believe it was a Tuesday night. Because Monday night, everyone's, you know, checking out each other, trying to figure out who you're going to date during the week. <laughs> so then on Tuesday night, you can, on Tuesday night, you can really focus on the Lord like you're supposed to. <laughs> and it was a Tuesday night and the Lord rocked our lives, man. Like our whole youth group, God messed us up that night. It was like one of those 1 a.m., 2 a.m. mornings. Like everyone's got their ugly cry face on. You're sweaty. You're gross. This is West Texas youth camp. This isn't North Texas youth camp. You know, it's like, you know, the four seasons or whatever. But um, I remember it was like one, two in the morning. We're talking about what the Lord's done in our life. It's absolutely amazing. And um, then the spirituality flies out of the window. And next thing you know, like homeboys saran wrapping the other homeboy to the bunk, you know, and they're putting shaving cream on people's faces and all that stuff. But we stayed up way too late that night. And then at 7 a.m. every morning, the dean would come and he would knock on the door and he would want to sing rise and shine and give God the glory. And I promise you, if there was ever a moment I wanted to strangle someone one time in my life, it would have been that moment. But Pastor Chad, in all of his wisdom, he knew we had had too much. We had, we had too much Jesus the night before, a little bit of rambunctiousness. Pastor Chad pushes his bunk bed in between the door and the dean, and we get to sleep for an extra hour that morning. That was the moment. We already loved Pastor Chad, but that was the moment we would take a bullet for him. And you're like, John, why are you telling this silly story? And what in the world could you have learned from that? And I, as I was studying for this message, I was like, what a beautiful image of what we should be when it comes to prayer on the behalf of other people. You see, a lot of times as parents, as leaders, what if we were the 
barrier between what the enemy was trying to do to someone, but our prayer stood in the way of the plan that he was trying to pursue in someone else's life. Like, I'm sorry, church. Like, if we aren't going to pray, no one else is. Like, no one's praying for your kids unless you are. No one's praying for our leadership, whether you like them or not, if the church isn't. No one's praying for your pastor if you aren't as a church. It's up to us to stand. And I mean, that's what Jesus did. What I've learned time and time again is that strong people stand for themselves, but the strongest people stand for others. Luke 22, like this is what Jesus did. Luke 23, 34, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What was he doing? He was standing in between saying, I got this one. Shouldn't we be doing the same thing in prayer for the people that we love? Let's take it a step further. Shouldn't we be doing that for people who we don't love so much? Man, it's easy to pray and stand in prayer and believe that prayer changes things for people that you love, but what about people that have hurt you and done you wrong? But it's up to us to do it. Matthew 5.44 said Jesus Christ commanded. He didn't request. (laughs) He commanded. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And what? Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, I learned that prayer changes everything. At staff meeting, I would watch Pastor Chad pray, because you got to realize I was on staff at 18 years old, and an 18-year-old only has the capacity, unless you're really good, to like, like, prayer was an hour. Like, I feel like a minute per year that you are is fair. (laughs) You know, like, so I was in my mind, I was like, I should be able to pray like 15 to 18 minutes. Like, that's probably pretty spiritual. And so... So we'd be praying an hour, 15 minutes would go by, and I'm like, man, I got three options. One, I fall asleep, and then Pastor Chad makes fun of me. Two, I um, start reading the Word of God, but I'm, dude, I'm 18, like, so that's probably going to revert me back to number one. And then number three was, the good thing is he had a killer worship mix, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, like, stare at the ceiling, listen to this music, and just be spiritual. And so, so I went with option three time and time again, but what Pastor Chad didn't ever realize is that in that extra 45 minutes where I had no clue what I was doing, I could hear him pray. And I still remember it to to this day. He taught me how to pray. Pray. You praise, you repent, you pray for anything you want, and you pray for yourself. And that stuck with me even to this day. But the thing I loved about Pastor Chad is that on that yourself part, I noticed that it was the shortest part of his prayer. That he was always lifting up his congregation. He was always lifting up his leaders. He was always lifting up his spouse. He was always lifting up anyone and everyone. And I think we as the church, we have to realize that we have the capacity to move the hand of God. But we've got to get back to the basics of prayer. Because prayer changes everything. I learned that from Pastor Chad. Number three, I learned that the small things matter. One of the things I love about Pastor Chad, because it makes me feel good about myself, is that we both share a itsy-bitsy 
OCD. Actually, I like to say that we are probably CDO. If you don't know what that is, that's OCD in alphabetical order. I mean, walk into the dude's office. It's perfect. Walk into my office. It's pretty perfect. Um, I remember being in on the youth worship team and, and playing the guitar and the song list was perfect and the order of service was perfect and man, his, his handwriting. Has anyone ever seen Pastor Chad's handwriting? It's like, seriously, dude, that's annoying. Like, it's <laughs> perfect. And I'm not saying lesson that I learned is be OCD or CDO or whatever you want to call it. I learned from your pastor that as cool as it was for Pastor Chad to be speaking every week to hundreds and hundreds of people, it was done with excellence on the stage, but even the things that were not seen were done with excellence because the small things mattered. He would set up the auditorium, chairs perfect, projector screen perfect. But the one that stuck out to me most is when he would vacuum the auditorium before service. And back in the day, we had some beautiful mauve carpet. Is that the right color? Mauve? Okay. All the people who are like, understand the 90s were like. So he would, he would vacuum the auditorium and the carpet lines looked like Wrigley Field. And I'm telling you, dude, it was perfect. But it was the things that no one else noticed. And you say, John, what in the world are you trying to to say? Like, do that? No, I'm trying to say, like, if you go back to the parable of the talents, the five talents mattered, the two talents mattered, and guess what? Guess who got their rear end reamed? The one with the one talent. So if the five mattered, the big, and the one mattered, what does that tell you and me? Everything that you do, whatever the Lord places in your hand, matters. So many times we're looking for the big thing, but God's saying, what's the thing that I've given you? And are you treating it like it really matters in your life? The small things matter. One of the biggest lies we tell to ourselves is I'll do it when I have more. I'll do it and make a difference when I have more influence, when I have more power, when I have more money. Let me say it like this. If you aren't being a good steward with the small things, you will never have anything more than the small things. Great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Some of you, you're really like, you're really struggling with giving towards a giving campaign and and we're about to break ground tonight at five o'clock and we better be excited about that because I know how many of us knuckleheads were pumped when AT&T Stadium was going up because we were breaking ground on a billion dollar facility. Like I'm saying, we're breaking ground to change lives in the city of Burleson. That's something we ought to get excited about. That's something that ought to make, make us a little pumped for what the Lord's doing in the city. And you're saying, well, John, I don't have a lot. Well, guess what? You will continue to not have a lot if you can't relinquish and realize that the small thing you do have matters. Because that building is going to go up with or without you. The question is, do you want to be a part of the blessing? It's the small things you do. 
my marriage isn't good. When's the last time you texted your wife, I love you for no apparent reason in the middle of the day? My relationship with my kid's not good. When's the last time you wrote a letter, stuck it in their launch box, just saying, I love you, I'm praying for you today? Like you can buy them whatever you want for Christmas, but it's going to be the small things that change their life. The fourth lesson I learned from your pastor is don't just see the need, meet the need. Man, talk about something he, I'm sure he preached on it, but he never even had to preach on it because his actions spoke louder than any sermon. I remember watching him play drums at nine years old while this church is being planted. There was a need. He met it. I remember when he was my youth pastor, we didn't have a worship leader. So what would he do? He would lead worship for 30, 45 minutes, sweat his brains out, then turn around and speak the message that night. I'm utterly exhausting. Like if you've ever even attempted to do anything like that. Why? He saw a need and he met it. I remember, um, when, uh, we had an instance where we needed a keyboard player, and this is the one that really stuck out to me more than anything. Actually, let me wait on that one. When he was 24 years old, and his dad was called to Arlington, Texas, and we didn't have a senior pastor, at 24 years old, he saw a need, and he said, God, if it's me, I'll meet the need at 24 years old. And then the one that stuck out to me was there was a moment in our church where it was a good-sized church, too. I don't know. The Lord was, like, like pruning, of us, pruning us of all keyboard players for some reason. <laughs> and um, we didn't have a keyboard. We had one keyboard player, but he was going through some sickness, and it was, like, hit or miss. And, like, one keyboard player, like, that matters. Like, that's a big deal. Um, and we had a need. And I remember week after week after week, I would walk in, getting ready for staff meeting, and I would hear someone on the keys in the auditorium. I'd peek through the little crack of the door. And Pastor Chad literally taught himself how to play keys because he saw a need. And he said, I'm not going to look to the left or the right. I'm just going to meet the need. And some of y'all are getting to experience the blessing of that even to this day, but you probably never knew that story. Why? Because it's one thing to see the need. It's a whole different ball game to meet the need. I think we as Christians, I'd give us an A++++++ on seeing needs. I'd give us a C- on meeting needs. I believe we've got to be the church that the Lord wants us to be. When we see the hurting, when we see someone who needs something, and I'm not just talking about money. You're like, I don't have money. Do you have time? Do you have compassion? Do you have prayer? Can you write a note? Can you take them some donuts? I don't know what it is. When you see a need, can we step up and be the church and not just feel bad for them and not just put pity on them and be like, oh, that's got to be sorry. Can we do something about it, church? I don't just see needs anymore. I feel an urgency to meet them. Why? Because I learned that from your pastor. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Dude's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, gets beat up. Priest sees the need. What does he do? Goes around it. And you see the Levite, same thing. Sees the need, goes around it. And finally, a Good Samaritan says, you know what? I see the need and I'm going to meet the need. That's who we need to be, church. I mean, in that story, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's you and us. Go and do likewise. We're in the Christmas season. There's going to be needs all around us. I challenge you, start trying to meet some of those needs. 
I truly believe that we as a church, we have got to step up and we've got to stop just seeing and we've got to start doing. That was the fourth lesson I learned from your pastor. The last lesson and probably the most important in my entire life, so I saved the best for last. Um, when I started speaking, I always realized like it's best to have your best point last because then, you know, you kind of do this number instead of like, boom, and then when everyone's asleep, you know. <laughs> but the last lesson I learned from your pastor was that the Lord had a plan for my life. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, I know that too. Well, good for you, but do you really know it? Because it didn't matter if you came into our youth group one time or a hundred times, you were going to hear it every night. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And when you're like, you know, 14 to 18, like the way you look at that scripture is like, man, my future is amazing. My future is bright. He has a plan. He has a calling. He has a purpose. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change my world. And you look at that scripture in an awesome, awesome way when you're in youth group, and you should, because all those things are so true. And that's the way that I looked at it during that season of my life. But the word of God is living and active, and it is timeless. Do you understand that? Little did I know that six years later from hearing that in 2006, I say that 2006 was the best worst year of my life. And that doesn't quite make sense, but it will here in a moment. In 2006, June 17th, 2006, I married the love of my life. We've been married 11 years, which means we got married when we were about seven. And um, no, I'm just playing. I married the love of my life and greatest moment uh, uh, of my life. The key, keyboard player's husband, me and him were talking. They just got married like six months ago. And I was like, did you see the excitement? And I remember feeling that same excitement. beautiful day. Bride walks down the aisle with her dad. Just life couldn't be better. Then came July 26th, just over 30 days later. And I'll never forget that Wednesday night. We were heading to the church. We were volunteering to help with the the youth group. And we got a phone call that my father-in-law, my bride's dad, um, died of a fatal heart attack at the age of 58 years old. He was actually at a VA hospital going to PTSD classes um, when he passed and um, from his time in the military. And, you know, that honeymoon phase kind of flew out the door really quick. A few months later, October 13th, Friday the 13th, ironically, young man who was also in the same youth group with Pastor Chad and myself. He was one of my key leaders, one of my best friends in the young adults ministry I was running. Died in a head-on car collision uh, at the age of 24 years old. And then just to top it off, in November, one month later, granddad dies and goes to see the Lord. And so in a span of five to six months, I went from the highest place of my life to literally having discussions with God that I never thought I would ever have to have. I mean, you talk about some words being thrown. That was a real moment in my life where, as I even go through that timeline, honestly, standing just very transparent today, I have no clue. I mean, I do have a clue, but at that moment, I had no clue how I was going to get through that situation. 
It's one thing to be in an argument with your spouse and love her. It's a whole other ballgame to love her so much and you have no answers for the problem. And then you throw losing a best friend tragically on top of that. I look back and I realized in my life that that Jeremiah 29 11 scripture had taken on a whole new meaning. Because you know what? None of it made sense. None of it. I had done what I was supposed to do. I stood for the Lord up to that point. Had great parents. Life was good. I mean, I, obviously I failed here and there, but I didn't do anything crazy that, you know, could have ruined my life. I was being obedient to the Lord. And then it's like, why do these things happen? Like, why would the Lord allow me to go through all this stuff? This is supposed to be the honeymoon period of my marriage, and I don't even know how we're going to make it. And I stand before you today, and I can honestly say to you that the only way I made it through that moment in my life is that I could hear my youth pastor saying, the Lord has a plan for your life. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I can't tell you how many times in my car I had to sit there and say, God, I don't like what you're doing right now. Frankly, I really don't like you right now, but I know you have a plan for my life. It's one thing to understand that God has a plan for your life when everything is going good for you. It's a whole different ballgame to be in the midst of junk and understand that even then, the Lord has a plan for your life. I always looked at that scripture like that was for the teenagers. <laughs> but the more I find out is that if you will cling to that fact, even as an adult, when you don't understand that he has a plan for you, God is making things happen for you. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, even when it's not evident, understand that the Lord is working on your behalf. That was the fifth lesson I learned from your pastor. In closing, why would I take you through some of these things? I want you to understand that the word that you're getting every week here, it may not be for this week, it may not be for next week, it may not be for next month or next year, but the word you are getting every week here at LifeGate could be the very thing that keeps your life from destruction at some point in your life. Like, let's be real blunt. We as Americans, we are flat spoiled with the leadership in our churches today. Yes, some of them fall, some of them falter. There's always a few bad apples. But we have solid teaching. You have solid teaching. The word of God comes forth every day. If you will heed that word, hide it in your heart, I guarantee you, it's not if, it's when that that word is going to be relevant and powerful in your life.